0: This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. It happens to most people eventually. Some people get there quick, while others take a bit longer. Transitioning into a management role is a natural evolution of skill development, but that doesn't necessarily make it any easier. Chances are you're ready, but in case you've got questions, We think we have answers. Welcome to episode 134, Management 101.
1: Today's episode is generously brought to you with support from Construction Specialties, maker of architectural building products designed to master the movement of buildings, people, and natural elements.
0: Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are talking about firm management, but at a fairly introductory level so that we can focus on a broad range of considerations that are applicable to a broader range of individuals. The idea for this show, and we had arranged a few things to make it today's show, was the result of a question that was asked during episode 133, Ask the Show Fall Edition. That question was, do you have any pointers for architects who are transitioning to management roles? And I had some pretty hot opinions on that.
1: A little, I mean, maybe warm. I don't know if they're hot.
0: They were hot. They were hot. <laughs> I actually thought, I go, how many people at my office are going to come up to me and go,
1: are we going to make angry?
0: Yeah. You know what? First off, I didn't make anybody angry. That's because nobody in my office listens to this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, I got you. But
0: of all the people that do. I would say what I said on the show to them. To
1: them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm okay with that. So because I thought that that was a really interesting topic for discussion, and I don't think we've really dedicated an entire bracket of time for it, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? We ought to do that. That's a good question, but we couldn't get into all the things that, that I thought might really be helpful in answering that question. So I go, let's build a show around it. Sure. So where to begin? Let's start with a little conversation about leadership versus management, because I think we should do a show on leadership versus management that's dedicated to that. But since we're just talking about management and firm management, not project management, because that's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought, let's talk about just firm management, but I wanted to make a distinction between leadership and management just as like a little Blur before we get into the management part because we're going to make a leadership versus management show that's dedicated to that topic. So, we're not going to do it today. So, I made some notes on this and then I compiled them into what I think is a fairly reasonable summarization of my thoughts on it. And what I wrote was understanding the distinctions between leadership and management is crucial because it clarifies the roles and responsibilities of individuals within an organization. Both are necessary for an organization's success, but they serve different purposes and require different skill sets. Effective leadership inspires and guides, while effective management ensures tasks are completed efficiently. Now, one caveat I need to put to this. You need leadership skills to be a good manager.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not completely divergent things.
0: That's right. So because of that, distinction, but my acknowledgement that good managers have leadership skills. And it'll show up in the notes and the stuff that we're going to talk about. It's going to show up. That's why I thought, let's do a show dedicated to this. So I have a list, and Andrew's got a list, and we've kind of chatted about it before we hit the record button on this delightful... Let's see, it's 8.17 p.m. on a Friday night. It's our Friday party
1: here. Yeah, this is what we're doing for Friday night. We know how
0: to live... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're living it up.
1: The glamorous life of podcasters.
0: Yes. So we had to like, what are some of the skills? What are the things that you want to focus on? And how do you incorporate that into who you are? You start thinking about it. And because I harped on this so much, I had to make this the first one for me. of course. And it was effective communication skills. If you're going to be in a management position, effective communication, number one on my list, like for sure. So I have a couple of things that I go, all right, well, so what does that actually mean? So active listening is the first one that I wrote down. It's the idea that in a management position, you actively listen to team members to understand what makes them tick. What are the things they're concerned about? Do you give them a forum to express their ideas on how to do things better and that you also put them in a position from a management spot to receive feedback? That last one's pretty important because most times that doesn't happen, I don't think.
2: Or
1: if it happens, it happens poorly. It's one-sided in a way. I thought you would say, behind your back. Oh, well, no, that's different. <laughs> but no, it happens poorly. It happens poorly. You know what's funny is I was doing a bunch of chat GPT stuff. Effective communication was the number two in this list of 15 things. Oh, yeah. It has active listening to their team members as part of what that means. So it's kind of funny that even... Even the old AI
0: knows that's what's happening, or what it should be. Well, I mean, the AI should have known that that should have been number one. <laughs> that's why you can't trust it, people. Not yet. <laughs>
1: it's an important skill, and it does involve a lot of different things. It's not just being able to tell people stuff, but listening to them also is equally important.
0: Well, yes. I 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I almost think that you need to blur that line. And this is going off book. All the people that I work directly with, I feel like I can tell them, we were talking about the compliment sandwich last night at this event I was at. Mm. And I was like, hate the compliment sandwich. stupid." Yeah. And I go, if you're consistent in your application of praise and criticism, you don't need to do that. If people know that they can recover if they make a mistake, everybody can have a bad day. I can tell you, That you did a bad job and you know I still like you. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, I don't need to say, here's something nice about you. Here's the real thing that I'm trying to get you to understand. And then, you know, here's a nice little bow on the end of it. Yeah. I don't do that. But I also feel fairly confident that people know that they hear the good and the bad. So everyone knows where they stand. I think that eliminates the need for the compliment sandwich personally. But one thing I do get criticized for. And I've known about it for years as the second thing on my list, which was clear and concise communication, (laughs) right? So this is the, you know, emphasize the importance of clear, direct, and respectful communication, both in written and verbal forms. So what I get criticized for is not that I'm not clear. I'm concise in what I'm asking somebody to do, but I don't tell them how to do it. I don't tell them, go do one, two, three, four, five, and bring it back to me. I tell them, this is what I want. And I tell them what the equal sign is mm. with the idea that they can get there. And when they come back and they didn't do something right, then I go, no, you didn't do blah, blah, blah. Or, or I want this. Or did you think about that? And the feedback is, if you knew what you wanted, why didn't you just tell me to do that? And my response is, if I have to tell you how to do it, what do I need you for? Yeah. And now that's, it's pretty brutal way to say it, but I mean, that's kind of what it is.
1: But I also think really, maybe may be a more, Tactful response would be, if I have to tell you exactly how to do it, how are you growing? What growth does that give you? If I just lay out the list of do A, B, C, D, and E so that you get the result of F, you're not going to grow. You're just, I mean, it's almost like memorization.
0: Yeah. You're following instructions. Yeah.
1: It's not the same as here's the F that I want, the end result of the equation, and you go try to attempt to do that. To me also, the flip side of that would be, you may actually do something that I hadn't thought of. And I don't know if that's the way you approach it, but for me, I'm like, I'm kind of leaving the door open for you to maybe do something that I didn't expect.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes, I have expectations. And if you don't do that, I'm going to tell you. But the flip side of that is, maybe you come up with something that I hadn't thought about. But if I just say, do A, B, C, D, and E, you're not going to do that. That's not going to happen 100% for sure. It's not
0: going to happen. Yes. I want to leverage your greatness into this process. Yeah. And so I hate telling people, how, like, here's all the exact steps and things that I want done from you. I really don't like doing that. I kind of tell them, hey, this is where we want to end up. And I used to work with a guy all the time, and he used to say, I manage people the way I like to be managed. And that is, just tell me what you need done and let me figure out how to get there. And you know what? The truth is, if you have a bunch of heat-seeking, alpha, super-genius problem-solving people, that methodology works great. Great, yeah. But if you need to teach and educate and bring along and lift up, and it doesn't work great. So you got to find something that's a little bit in between. And I will concede that that's one of the things I fall short in. I am told on occasion, they go, well, if you knew what you wanted, why don't you just tell me to do that? And sometimes I don't really tell them the equal sign. I just kind of wave my hands and say, you know, <laughs> something like that. Anyway. Yeah. I'm a work in progress too. That's part of the reason why I think this show could be kind of interesting. I don't have it figured out.
1: Yeah. And I think for me, again, it's like we talked about in the, maybe even in the answer to that question of the mindset of I'm trying to build somebody to replace or to do my job or do things the way I do it or learn to think in the way that I did that maybe not the exact same way, but to fill the role that I'm leaving as I'm transitioning into management. But me just going, do these four steps, that doesn't really help you because you're not either developing your, yeah. a, developing your own steps. Or be even critically thinking about it to figure out what you're doing. You're just going, oh, I'm moving this line here, that line over there, this thing down here, that over there, and I'm done. But that's not really, yeah. I'm not helping you. That's not teaching you anything.
0: Right. Okay. This is kind of a new one for me. I mean, this is a life skill, to be honest with you. But it wasn't until I got to a bigger firm where there were more voices, more opinions, more methodologies in play. Because sometimes you have to deliver a message the way someone is built to receive it, not the way you want to deliver it. Yeah. And that's a skill that takes, some people never get it, to be honest with you. Let's be honest.
1: It's a hard skill. I think it's probably maybe more difficult than the other two.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Look, there's guys that I work with now, and they're at my same level, and we'll have conversations about something we want to get done, and we'll talk about, well, how's the strategy for how we want to roll this out, how we execute it? And one of the guys is always like, Man, that's stupid. Just you should be able just to tell somebody that. Yeah. And I go, you have to understand that not everybody thinks like you do, and so your goal is to help them understand your position in a way that they understand it. Otherwise, you might just be putting somebody in a corner and they feel like they have no option but to come out swinging and disagree with what you're trying to get them. Like there's there's no like unveiling. It's like you got to come at things from the side sometimes, and you got to recognize. When you got to come from the side, when you got to come from straight on, like it's not Mm -hmm. always the same with every person. So the next thing I put on my list under effective communication skills is conflict resolution.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. It's the idea that you want to train on resolving conflicts professionally, because honestly, you want to have a positive workspace. You want the team to get along. You want people to be able to agree and disagree in a way that everybody goes home and still likes each other. And still wants to continue working on the project.
1: Yeah, that whole little tidbit right there always makes me wonder if that's actually more difficult in a larger office or more difficult in a smaller office. Because you can possibly in a larger office just not have to interact with someone that you might not necessarily get along with. But in a small office, you can't get away from that. But in a big office, there's more people that you actually have to deal with. So I've always wondered which ones. In that situation of conflict resolution, is it easier where there's more people or less people?
0: I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, in my experience in small firms is you end up knowing each other so well that you have a lot more goodwill, good guy kind of cred built up in the bank so that when you step on somebody's toes, they know that you don't typically behave that way. or Mm -hmm. It's easier to get a hall pass on something because they have so much more interaction with you just walking by you because you're only five feet away from one another. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's part of it. In the large firm, even though we have a lot more people like currently in my office, nobody works with 80 people. We have teams and some of them are large, but a large team might be six people Mm -hmm. at any one moment. Yeah. And I go, you're kind of at a disadvantage because sometimes you only engage with those people during meetings.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, you don't necessarily sit by each other. Yeah. And so you might only know them in a professional capacity, in a passing by kind of
1: the very cursory way. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yes, I know you went to UT, Hook'em Horns, Go Team. Who you rooting for? That kind of thing. You know those sort of things, but you don't know the ins and outs like you do when you sit next to somebody all day every day, and there's only five or six people in the room.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The next thing that I had on my list had to do with trying to come up with activities that. And this is from a group standpoint, as opposed to a, you wouldn't do this if you're in a management position, I don't know, trying to implement something and that's a firm wide thing, as opposed to you're in a management position and you're managing a team. You have six people, eight people, two people, whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. It had to do with coming up with exercises to help build that kind of team feeling that kind of we're in this together and and allowing those activities to provide an environment where you can provide feedback and improve interpersonal communication skills. So we do this less now, but it used to be, if you worked on a project in the office, the manager of that team at milestones would take everybody out like, Oh, we had a 50% CD issue this Friday. And then that Friday afternoon, everybody would go get a drink or something like that. Uh, Yeah. gotcha. We'd create these opportunities to be with each other, in a non-professional environment, so.
1: Okay, well, I was trying to figure out how that relates to communication skills.
0: Well, it's about you creating an environment that lets people have an open discourse with one another. Okay. You have to help people. No, I got it, yeah. Yeah, you have to help people learn how to talk to one another. Loosen
1: up a little bit and talk to one another. Yeah, Yeah, okay, okay, okay.
0: Yeah, so how do you foster an environment where I can tell you, you did something that I think isn't right without worrying that I hurt your feelings Or you're going to be mad at me. And you're going to
1: quit tomorrow or whatever. Yeah.
0: It's going to be punitive because you think I'm out to get you. Part of it has to do with, all right, like create these moments where people can get together in such a way that allows feedback and an improved set of communication skills can develop between those people. Okay. Now I get it. Yeah. Okay. The next kind of big category that I put on here. So I think this is my number two. And you actually brought this up. As one of the things that was important to you during the management transition, and that was time management and prioritization. Yeah. Prioritization is crucial for effective time management in a management role. I don't know what to call them junior employees, younger employees, less experienced employees need to learn how to focus on tasks that contribute most to the organization's goals. That's part of what understanding how to manage your time and how to prioritize your tasks. As you're distributing them to people. That's pretty important.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I actually wrote down something that I learned from you. Time blocking. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know what? I still have not implemented time blocking. Yeah. 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 Do you use it now?
1: Some. Not as much as I used to. Yeah. But also, my schedule's a little bit different now. Like, I don't have people hounding me at early in the morning or emails all of a sudden. my first wake out of bed, I
2: don't have that really happening.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I think it's a a sound way to at least make sure you're managing your time in a way that lets you prioritize getting work done, prioritize checking emails, prioritize what has to happen today, what has to happen the end of the week, what has to happen in two weeks, prioritize where you're putting your time. To me, it's not just a simple time management of how do I manage my time as an individual, but there's a whole other layer when you move into management of how you're managing your time because now you're worried about what other people's time is doing also. Not just your own, but how do you spread yourself out among these other people also? So it's a whole other layer of time management, and making sure that you can still prioritize both of those aspects is to me where it gets really critical.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting, one of the things that I think is kind of an interesting concept of time blocking. And it's not just about blocking out time to do things. When you mix in prioritization, you're able to say, "I'm going to block out dedicated focus time to things that require." more dedicated attention than something Mm -hmm. that you might be able to do when you're more distracted or the opportunities for you to be distraction are elevated Mm -hmm. as an example, or when you don't have a big chunk of time. Like I can tell you when I walk into the office, there's a time when there's not a lot of people there and I feel like I'm super productive. So I try to make sure like whatever heavy messages I got to send out are like, I got that. But people are starting to learn that I get into the office early. And they're starting to go, I can go get him because I might not be able to give his time later or he's too busy or
1: later. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm starting to lose that block of time mm-hmm. and I haven't figured out how to reclaim it yet, to be honest with you.
1: Get it back. Yeah.
0: Well, the other thing I had on here was using prioritization tools, which is again, this is a new one to me and it was. Something that I really started drilling down to, and we talked a little bit about it in episode 128, Mm. which was our focus episode, and that was the use of the Eisenhower Matrix. Oh, yeah. And for those who didn't listen to that episode, the Eisenhower Matrix was named after Dwight Eisenhower, who was an American army general and the 34th president of the United States. And he ended up using this decision matrix. I'll probably include a graphic to it because I think it's really good. And you end up having a urgent column and a not urgent column and an important row and a not important row. And so you end up getting like this kind of little quadrant and you had a, if it's important and urgent, you need to do it now. If it's important and not urgent, you just decide when you're going to do it. Yeah. If it's not important and urgent, you delegate it. But if it's not important and not urgent, you delete it. Yeah. And that's, I was like, you know what? I'm down with this.
1: I think that's the hardest category is that last one, though. Like the not urgent and not important to delete it. I think that's difficult. But
0: Yeah, I tend to ignore it. Yeah, <laughs> <me>. <laughs> I was going to say, it's <laughs> like,
1: it's not deleted from my list. It just, it, does, it gets ignored.
0: Yeah, I just don't do it.
1: It's, it's one of those when I finish everything else.
0: And you know what? And if I've made a misstep on like what I've decided was not urgent and not important, by ignoring it, And if I was wrong in my assessment, somebody will come and get me for it. As opposed to if I like eliminate it as a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Then normally when it comes back up, it's because something's gone horribly wrong. (laughs) So ignoring it allows me like a cushion, a little buffer. Yeah. So that's the route I typically go. Funny. I have on here also under time management is. The idea of a regular review, which is encouraging regular reviews of task lists to adjust priorities as needed based on changing circumstances. Are you a list guy? Yes. Like, do you make lists?
1: Yeah, I'm a big list guy.
0: Yeah. I should be a bigger list guy, to be honest with you. Yeah. I tend to write down the things I need to do, but I don't organize them in such a way I tend to just write them on scrap paper and then leave that scrap paper on my desk. and Somewhere, yeah. So then I go, I need to elevate my game. So I started writing them on a pad. But I don't, I write them on like just a, a piece of the paper that's on the pad. So it's not like it's sequential or it's not like prioritized. Like the people that sit down and write number one, two, three, four, five, like they organize their day in a certain way and they do number one first and then they move to number two. I have not developed that skill. And I recognize that I should. And that's why I wanted to put it on my list because you know what, I'm going to practice what I preach on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know,
1: I've got lists everywhere. I have lists on my phone. I have handwritten lists and notebooks that I keep with me. And if I have the time and I know it's necessary, I will sit down and prioritize them. But I also have (laughs) on my phone, I have in like in the note thing, I have to do today and it's a list and then to do this week and it's a list. And so, I'll add to those as I do it and I kind of check them off. It's a bit prioritized, but not quite everything gets prioritized the way it should. Yeah.
0: It's a technique that I know that I should use and I try to implement it into my workflow and I'm failing miserably. I even have a list by the refrigerator. I was like, you know what? Whenever I run out of something, you know, it's like having a grocery list, I go, oh, I used the last of the mustard. Like, so I need to write mustard on this list. So next to my refrigerator, there's a pad of paper with a pen on top of it. I don't know. I put that pad there like four months ago and it's got like three things on it. Yeah. I just. <laughs> and if you go to my pantry, I have bought things like pickles and I have like four jars of pickles because I keep thinking I need to get pickles and then I don't. Yeah. I'm like, wow, I got a lot of pickles.
1: Yeah. There's a running joke in my house. I did that once with pancake mix. Like every time I went to the grocery store, I'd buy pancake mix because I made pancakes once and now we've got There's like six of those jugs of pancake mix, the powder that you just pour the milk or water into to make them, but... Shake it up. Yeah, that's the joke of like overbuying things. Like, do we need some pancake mix today? No. That's the joke in my house. Nice.
0: You're like, you know who's not getting pancakes? Jokester. Yeah, all of you kids. Yeah, exactly. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are joined today by Anthony Peachy, who has been with Construction Specialties for 12 years and holds the role of Senior Marketing Manager. His work at CS has included development of new seismic solutions for the industry, and he's passionate about the built environment, embracing better solutions for the people who visit and occupy those spaces. Hi, Anthony. How are you doing?
3: Thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. Great to be with you.
1: Good to see you again. It's been a couple months, I guess.
3: Yeah, last time was at the AIA conference, right? Yep. Yeah, good time. Where do you call home? Where are you
0: at tonight?
3: I'm actually in Muncie, Pennsylvania, which is about north central. Closest claim to fame would be Williamsport, which is the home of the Little League World Series. Nice. (laughs)
0: Let's jump right into this because you're generous to spend your time with us this evening. And I know that Andrew and I have a couple questions and I just want to kind of jump into it if that's all right with you. Absolutely. So CS is a longtime manufacturer of architectural building products, and in the coming year, you are focused on an educational concept called mastering movement. Can you tell us what that means?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So many of the listeners may not know this about CS, but we offer 10 distinct different categories of building products for the construction industry. And this whole concept of mastering movement really came about when we were brainstorming how to tie all of our products together. And so term resilience kept getting thrown out. And we kind of asked the question, well, resilience against what? And so we kept landing on these different types of movement that a building has to withstand. And it's also what architects, designers, engineers, GCs, they're designing for, just maybe in a different set of terminology. And so we know that change is inevitable. Buildings go through all sorts of change, whether it's once the building's built, the live loads that go into the building, the migration of people through the building, the external elements of sun, wind, water, rain, or fire even, we design against these things, these elements. We know that architects have to plan for it, structural engineers design for it. And so we as a company are committed to being experts in certain product solutions that address these types of specific movements. And so as you mentioned, we're launching and are working through this Mastering Movement course of presentations where we're taking a look at the range of whether they're man-made elements or environmental elements that really impact buildings and the variety of issues that the buildings have to accommodate or deal with.
1: Sounds good. So how is that educational component? How's that all going to roll out?
3: Yeah. So we've developed a series of courses that'll be available online, but as any CEU course You can obviously request these and our product experts and specialists could do them either virtually or in person as well. And so over the course of, I think this next year, we're going to be joining you guys and we're going to just be dropping some specific nuggets of knowledge that we've learned over our time in the industry of how to address these specific movements in the built environment and hopefully how architects can find some pretty innovative solutions and services that can help them plan for it.
0: Yeah. So we're excited that you're going to come on the show with us a couple of times over the next year or so, but it's not always going to be you. There's going to be product experts that are specific to the kind of different types of movements that are occurring in buildings to talk specifically about their area of mastery,
3: right? Exactly. So I'm doing a general overview and then we'll have some product experts that can really dig deep into some specific areas of how we would recommend Mastering Movement, whether that's with some of the services that we offer and then obviously the solutions that we provide at the end of a, of a project.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm kind of curious about what sort of architectural
3: solutions are you going to be exploring in the Mastering Movement Academy? So as I mentioned, we offer 10 different product lines. Anything from louvers and sunshades that handle the movement of sun, air, and water. I think ventilation in a building's key but also shading that building and making sure that the spaces inside of a structure are comfortable and not glaring. The other things that we could offer modular stair systems, and these systems really help when it comes to movement on a job site. We could talk about putting stairs up from the foundation and then doing all your landings or all your levels off of your stairs so you have instant access. Other types of movement would be actual building movement, so with expansion joint covers. And then a lot of people movements. People do a lot of damage to buildings, (laughs) and so we've got solutions to guard against that, whether that's entrance flooring systems that are keeping your first impressions great, or interior wall protection that's really holding up to the use that carts put on a building or doors that withstand all of the movement through the space itself. So We'll be exploring a variety of solutions that we've designed over the course of time. We've learned and designed and re-engineered and engineered to solve these building movement issues. And really, at the end of the day, it's all been designed to support the desire of achieving a really great aesthetic and making your building function appropriately. Wonderful.
1: Yeah, sounds great.
0: We're looking forward to chatting with you and your team over the next year to kind of learn more about all these individual pieces. So... Thanks for joining us today and kind of give us an overview. Absolutely.
3: It's great to be with you guys as always.
1: It's great for you to start this off for us and we're looking forward to having it all breaking down over the next couple of months.
0: Visit masteringmovement.net for more information and to learn more about how construction specialties has been creating inspired solutions for a more intelligently built environment since 1948. So the next item on my list of items that are, I think are really important when you transition again, almost all these things show up or manifest in some capacity. As soon as you start having a real job, to be honest with you, (laughs) yeah, the, the importance that they play in your ability to do their job become elevated. I'll say. Mm, Yeah. And so I put, this was the one that, I don't know, I have a pretty strong, feelings about this, but it it stems into other things. And, you know, maybe we'll get into that, but it's delegation, Mm -hmm. you know, an effective delegation is essential to freeing up time and empowering team members. And so the reason why I think delegation is important, and this actually starts to creep into leadership thinking, I think, to be honest with you, because we have people that are super talented, have a lot of laps around the block. I mean, they know what they're doing. And they sometimes still demonstrate a tendency to just do it themselves because they can just do it faster. Or I can't give it to somebody else because they need to do this Mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. And I am not sure I've ever really worked out this comparison, but I always talk, talk to them like this is like teaching your kid how to tie their shoes when they don't know how to tie their shoes. You can do it way faster. But what ends up happening if
1: If you don't ever teach them,
0: say you need to learn how to do this and you, You need to teach them and they're going to learn how to do it. Eventually, even if they're slow, you can be doing something else while they're tying their shoes slowly, but they'll get there. Yes. That's part of it. Yes. And in a professional environment, in an office like mine, I tend to say, I need you to delegate your responsibilities because I need you to do something else, but I need you to make other versions of you, right? It's the layer cake. We kind of mentioned this before that if I'm going to move you from layer five to layer six. We got to start working on somebody in layer four to move up into your slot. So you just can't do this yourself. You have to learn to delegate it so you can empower, teach, and let those people continue on their path of improvement and empower them to become what they're capable of becoming. Mm-hmm. It's super, super important. It's not just abdicating responsibility, which sometimes I think people view delegating work as a, well, you're a lazy POS. Yeah, Yeah. You don't want to do it, so you're going to make somebody else do it. And while that might sometimes be true, there's more reason for it not to be true and why it's a good thing than than not.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, you need to be able to delegate. I mean, I talked about in, in the last episode about letting go of some things. You have to learn to let go of some stuff, be able to delegate it. But it is not, in a management role, you're not really giving it up. You're giving up the steps to create it. But in the end, it still comes back to you to, to deal with the result, right? as a manager, it's still up to you to make sure that the result is there and what it needs to be. But you're delegating the, the work that it takes to get to that result or the process that it takes to get to that result. Because yeah, I'm going to delegate it to my team or whatever they're so doing myself. But as a manager, it comes back to me before it goes somewhere else higher up in the layers or I have become the one responsible for it. And I think that that's sometimes the trick of not wanting to let go is because you feel responsible for it and if you let it go then you're not responsible for it anymore but in reality as a manager you're still going to be responsible for it right but you're letting somebody else take care of it to get it to the point that then you can say okay and now i'm still responsible for it and i pass it on it's a little i don't know it's some kind of little switch that you have to realize that this is really what's happening i'm not really giving up responsibility for that piece i'm giving up the process or the work the effort associated with that piece but not the responsibility quite honestly yes
0: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, it's funny because the second bullet point I have on my list is trust and empower. Mm -hmm. You know, Encourage them to trust their team. This is, you know, speaking about the manager or encourage them to trust their team and empower team members by giving them autonomy to complete delegated tasks. You know, and I'll tell you, we have a young woman in my office and she's remarkable. She doesn't always listen to the show, but if she does, she knows that I'm talking about her. We have a very open conversation. She's so far out in front because of the way she handles her business that despite the fact she does not have a great deal of experience, man, people delegate responsibility to her and her career is skyrocketing. I mean, she's moving along at a rate. Now, she's able to do it. There's a difference between giving people responsibilities they're not ready for.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: But then there's also finding out if they can handle it and then once you do, it's kind of like Put another stick on, put another stick on, put another stick on until you go, all right, we're at that point. I don't want to break it, right? But I'm going to keep giving you more responsibility to see how you do. And then you stop until they're ready to take on more. If you don't ever delegate stuff, you never find out what people are capable of unless it just happens accidentally rather than purposefully. And that's your job as a manager is to find that stuff out and then get out of the way and let those people be amazing. Mm -hmm. So delegation. It's important.
1: And again, it, it's a tough one. For me, it was definitely a tough one, like in the small firm sort of environment, because I was used to doing all these things, all this stuff. And it was me, me, me. I was the person doing all of it. And then as my office grew, I can't, I've got to delegate stuff. No. Even though I'd, I'd been the only person responsible for that for years. Well, I can't do that anymore because I've got more people to manage or more things to do. And I've got another layer of responsibility in myself. So that means I've got to delegate some of that effort somewhere else because i can't i just can't do it yeah yeah and then i'm never gonna move anybody else up if i don't do that
0: well so if we're gonna make such a big deal out of delegating and trust and empowering you have to include on the list follow-up and support Mm -hmm. you know the emphasize the importance of providing the necessary support as they're going through this guidance is part of that and i think part of that would be some sort of organized check-in, not like a drive-by check-in, but like scheduled, routine. And it's important that you don't micromanage those people. So if you're going to empower somebody to do something, let them do it, check the work, but don't like come in at the 15% mark and the 20% mark. Like, I mean, let them go. And if they have questions, say, come to me if you have questions. If I can move you off a center on something, come to me and do it. Otherwise, let them go.
1: I think the interesting thing about that when you were talking about that is that i think without this part we're talking about right here Mm -hmm. that's what makes people interpret you as lazy
0: no if you don't do the follow-up and check-ins and if you
1: don't do the follow-up and the support and stuff that's when people view you as a manager of well he's just dumping this on me because he doesn't want to do it or they're just doing this because they're lazy like they're making me do it because they're lazy they don't want to do it i think if you don't do this part the follow-up and provide the support that that's the view of the, your team or the people below you, that that's how they start to view it. Because if you don't provide that, it does look more like they're just dumping it off on me. So I think that's a critical part of this whole delegation thing is you don't just delegate and disappear. Yeah. That's when it comes off bad and that's when it seems like you're just ditching stuff. You're ditching responsibility, you're ditching whatever. That's not what you want to do. That's how you have to come back and provide the support and the follow-up. To really help the people that you're trying to delegate to understand why you're doing it and not that I'm just like, oh, you know, and I don't have time. This is below my pay grade now. That kind of attitude.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if we want to leave this in the show because it's a little tooting my own horn a bit, but <laughs> but it supports our point here. And it supports the idea that I believe it and I try to put it into my own workflow. And there's a young man I work with and he's also remarkable. I'm very lucky. I work with a lot of pretty amazing people. and I did something for him, and he was it was moving to him, and he posted it to Instagram, and he kind of talked about it. And one of the things he said is he starts it off by saying, working with Bob isn't easy. (laughs) That's the first thing he said.
1: (laughs) So it's truthful, at least. It it is
0: true. He goes, but he always brings out the best in us. Uh, He goes, having a mentor like him allows me to see the world of architecture from a different perspective. Thanks so much for being my mentor. Thanks for always making me feel part of something bigger. You know what? All day, you know? Yeah. I take that as I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing. You know what? And I'm super hard on this guy too. But he knows I love him. Yeah. But he knows that I'm not going to let anything slide because he's capable of doing it. Every now and then I, I feel like, and this is not meant as a criticism and I've told him this, every now and then I think it's easy for him to rest on the fact that everybody tells him constantly that he's amazing. And so you end up having this like mm. hair toss. I'm amazing. And I'm like, yeah, you could be better. Yeah, That doesn't mean you're bad, mm-hmm. but it means like, yeah. do you think you're done? Do you think this is where you want to land? I think we can keep going. Yeah. There's more sticks that we can put on you. Let's keep going. Let's see what opportunities we can create for you to see what are you made of? You know, he can take it. He can take it.
1: Yeah. It's like, what's your growth potential? Yeah. You can rest in your laurels now. Great. That's fine. But let's see if you can be amazing at more stuff. And and not in a I feel like it's a right now, you know, the work environment is like, well people are just corporate greed and they're making all the people do the stuff, but like in a real good environment that's not what it's about. It's really about helping you grow to your potential. And that's why you get more responsibility or you do get more stuff, is because we're trying to make you excel. We're trying to make you a the better version of you so that you can move up or at some point take my place, quite honestly.
0: You know, it's interesting that take my place as a consideration is, I think, hard for people. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, why do I want to teach them to take my job? I want to keep my job. Yeah. I don't want to train my replacement. That's crazy. You know, and that's just my head is never in that spot, to be honest with you. And there's a lot of things. And I think part of it is when you talk with people and they know you have their best interest in mind. And that frequently is not telling somebody what they want to hear. Right. Yeah. Like, I remember. This was something I kind of learned when I was a kid, because my mom was a school teacher, and she worked in a kind of a low income area public school district. And man, she would do stuff. I thought, man, those kids have to think you're the meanest. Part. Like if you didn't, do, you didn't do your homework. She's calling your parents that night. Yeah. And I can tell you, none of my teachers ever like if I ever stepped out of bounds or did something. You did that? Yeah. I didn't go. Oh my gosh, they might call my parents. I was like, I got to do something really bad a bunch of times in a row before that happens. Yeah. But man, you didn't do your homework once. My mom's calling your mom. It was going to happen. And I thought, that's cold-blooded. Glad you're not my teacher. (laughs) And so I didn't go to the school that my mom taught at, but the kids that she did teach eventually filtered through the ISD system and they ended up in the same school that I was. Mm -hmm. And the number of times I heard people say, I love your mom so much. Because I felt like she was the only one that actually cared about me. That idea of pushing you and expecting more from you and giving you praise as well as constructive criticism, like looking out for you, saying, I expect more from you. This is not, this is not good enough. It came across in a way that I didn't anticipate when I was in fifth grade, but I figured it out yeah. a couple of years later on how that kind of. I'm hard on you because I care about you and your development and growth. It matters to me.
1: Because it matters. Yeah, Yeah, because you matter.
0: I don't know if it takes a certain kind of, I don't know, for you to take that sort of mentality and do that to people and not be concerned that, well, all they're going to get out of this is they think I'm a jerk. Yeah. There's a technique. There's a balance to pushing people. But okay. This sounds like we've already covered it, but we haven't. The next one I had on my list was time efficiency which is not the same thing as time management. Mm-hmm. So this has to do with employees learning, or maybe you, you doing it, or maybe you teaching people how to do it, is to use their time efficiently, eliminating time-wasting habits and practices. You know, I have three bullet points I wrote down on here, and it's really hard to articulate some of these things. So let me just blast these out real quick, and then we can have a whole list of mm-hmm. conversations. So there's like the idea of time auditing, which is to encourage people to conduct periodic time audits to identify time wasting activities and distractions. In my world, that just means asking you to think about how long you think it's going to take before you do it. And then evaluating, did you do it in the amount of time you thought it was going to take you to do it? Mm-hmm. So eventually maybe you get better at estimating or you find out, well, I should have been able to do it in eight hours and it took me 12 hours. Why? Either you did a poor job estimating it. Or you start to think about, well, why did it blowed out beyond what I think it should have been?
1: What was I doing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did Bob come to my desk and chat me up for like 30 minutes?
0: <laughs> yes, it's true. That does happen. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It doesn't happen as much in my uh, new office as it did in my small office. But I remember having this moment in my last office and there were, I don't know, eight of us that sat within four long strides of one another. And we charged hourly for the work that we did. And there would be these moments, and I'm a very efficient, effective worker. So if I do something, I'm pretty fast at getting it done. But I kind of need this release. So I will work. I'm at it, you know, Mm -hmm. going. And then I'm ready to turn my brain off for a little bit. So I turn and tell a story or have a chat or whatever to the entire office. And I started to realize, I'm shutting down seven other people from actually doing their job because I'm on break. I've decided, as a result, everyone else is on break. I had to change that pattern of behavior. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, we covered time auditing. I also have, like, there's various time management techniques, like the Pomodoro technique, which i had never heard of until you talked about it. And I started kind of mm-hmm. looking into that a little bit, but... It's the Pomodoro technique, it's batching similar tasks and avoiding multitasking, which I don't do at all. I'm multitask constantly, knowing that it's not the right thing to do.
2: Yeah.
1: Sometimes it's tough, right, to be able to figure out. It goes back to almost the prioritization or the time blocking. Uh, to me, they're somewhat similar of being able to say, I'm going to do these things together to make sure I'm, I'm more efficient with my time. If you do it, I don't know, like, I'm not going to try to go do something on one side of the house and at the same time say I'm doing some task on the other side of the house and I'm like going back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Let's try to focus on, okay, if I'm going to clean my bedroom and my bathroom at the same time, I'm doing that. I'm not going to, so clean my bathroom and then go clean the other bathroom that's on the other side of the house and then come back and clean the living room. Sure. It's doing things like that to try to kind of clump them together like that.
0: You know, I ended up putting this on my list as a bullet point because one of the things that. I do, and I I don't want to do it. I need to stop doing it. It's on my radar to the point where it's starting to bother me, and I need to change it. Is I will be on a a virtual call, and you know I'm on calls where there might be 15 people on the call, and so I will. I'm not an active participant. I'm there auditing. I'm listening. I'm making sure that I can hear that fact, and then hear something else three minutes later, and then something else 15 minutes later, and I can go, hey, wait, wait a minute, mm-hmm. and then I can speak up to it. Yeah. But whenever I'm on those sorts of calls. I'm almost always doing something else while I'm listening. And to be honest with you, I end up being the thing that is the multitasking part ends up being the primary thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden the meeting, that is what I'm obligated to be doing. I'm not doing as good a job at the role I'm supposed to play on that meeting as I am, whatever I'm, multitasking as a secondary item it almost always becomes the primary so i'm really starting to go we got to avoid multitasking for years i think people were saying it's it's great like you got to do it and now i'm starting to think no it, well, you need to stop multitasking
1: yeah i think whatever that episode was on focus i talked about how there's a lot of research that says multitasking is actually not true <laughs> yeah nobody's good at it even though you act like you are you're not no you're like doing everything kind of half ass yeah no. <laughs> Is really what it amounts to.
0: Well, the last thing I had on here, actually I put in here thinking with like you specifically in mind, because it's not something that I use. I know other people in our office do it, but I figured maybe you might be able to talk to it. And it's the idea of utilizing technology. Like how do you leverage productivity tools and apps to streamline tasks and reduce administrative work? Admittedly, I don't do that. I don't do those things mm-hmm. like technology. A lot of times other than like Bluebeam you know, me, red, like, yeah, that doesn't, I don't view that as a productivity tool. It's just a tool. So Mm -hmm. do you utilize technology and that sort of stuff to help you, I don't know, streamline (sighs) what you need to get done?
1: I did a lot more when I was managing folks in the office. Did you? Yeah. I would be able to, you know, I had a couple apps where the whole office was tied together and I was able to jot down like. Somebody needs to take care of this or somebody needs to take care of that. Or if I'm out of the job site, like while I'm 300 miles away, I can still communicate and say, you know, you guys need to be taking care of this or I'm going to need an answer for this on my drive home and doing it like that, where for me, it was more me being able to convey that information at the exact point in time that it came to me instead of relying on myself to remember it or to write it down and get back to when I got back in the office go, oh, this is what needed to be done. Yeah. It was more about that kind of coordination of in-the-moment stuff, Mm. which I guess things like Microsoft Teams and now or whatever would do that. But other than that, I don't know that I really dive into technology that much for this kind of stuff.
0: Well, hey, if you're listening to the show and you're like, you ought to be doing this. There's certain apps I use that take information from different platforms and stitch it together.
1: Combine them all together. Yeah, yeah.
0: So maybe that's part of what this is as a consideration. It's like, how do I? Well, like AI. I think I might have mentioned it in an earlier show. And if I didn't, it doesn't matter. I'll just say it again. I went to a lecture, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and it had to do with using AI. And part of the panel was the head AI person for a massive global engineering firm. And then there was somebody from Google who was on the panel and then somebody who was from AT&T. And they were keeping it pretty high level, so there wasn't a big takeaway from it. Mm. But one of the things that they said, that resonated with me in a fairly substantial way because I'd never thought about this in this capacity was their goal is to use AI to eliminate the things that they don't want to do. I'd never really come at it from that side. I was like, oh, how can I take what I like doing, but actually use the horsepower of...
1: Amplify it. Yeah. Like,
0: let's bump it up. And it had to do with things now. Like, they were talking about how they were using it. They're like, oh, how do we build how can you help me use AI to find a, a smarter, more effective way to do the staffing on my office? Let's use data analysis to sure. crunch out a solution as opposed to us standing around writing on a marker board. Like what needs to happen? Yeah. Yeah. So I would imagine that artificial intelligence and platforms like chat GPT will end up helping us get there. I've only now I've been using chat GPT for a while to do certain things to kind of help me jump off conceptual ideas. Mm hmm. But I haven't figured out a way to streamline my actual job using that sort of stuff, using a platform like that.
1: Yeah. You mentioned that. I think it was last episode where you were talking about that. We had a little short little answer about AI. And I haven't thought about that either. And it's, I don't even know if we can. That's the thing I've been trying to rack my brain around. Like, How could we actually even use that to streamline things of any sort of capacity? And I don't know if ChatGPT is the right, even the right application to do that, right? For what we do. I I can see it maybe in other jobs, but I just, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know either, but I I would imagine that it's not unreasonable to think that it's one step along the way of using various, like I've started this list of different AI platforms and what they're able to do from a creative standpoint. There's a lot of them and it's starting to get to where it's like really hard to keep up. Yeah. I, I can't keep up with all the different platforms and what they do. It They're so coming out so fast now.
1: Yeah. And right now, I feel like we're in the AI explosion, like we were in the social media explosion mm-hmm. a decade ago, maybe when there was like all these different platforms and all these other things. Yeah. There was 8,000 different ways and now they've kind of all filtered out and we're still back to there's there's a few yeah. now, right? That are the main
2: players. but
1: And I feel like that's where we're at right now with AI. It's just everybody. Boom, 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 boom. We got to Yeah, we got it. It's going to take a while to sift out to see the the main players stick around.
0: Yeah, there's probably some conceptually like this one company buys these eight companies. And so the the functionality of the nine different platforms is now all streamlined into <laughs> yeah. one application. Like that's probably going to happen. Yeah. So, But I would imagine that technology in that format is actually going to start to play a much bigger role. Okay, let's move on. I have a couple more sections and I'm like, I'm going to eliminate a couple of these because there's so many, there's so many. Yeah. So goal setting was the next one that was on my list. And it really was, you know, the idea of setting clear and achievable goals as a part of a fundamental aspect of time management. Have you heard of like smart goals, like capital S M A R T
1: Mm -hmm. S M A R T specific,
0: measurable, achievable, relevant and time bound. Use that as a framework for setting goals. Mm hmm. I do this now. It's not quite so specifically spelled out. I tend to look at it, goal setting, as an idea of you start with the why, and then you kind of reverse engineer your way back to step one. Like the first is, well, why am I going to do it? And then it comes to the should I do it. And then like you go, well, is it a yes or no? And if it's a yes, well, then there's an, like, here are your options. And then based on that answer, so eventually you get to your starting point rather than starting at the beginning Yeah. and working your way forward. I start at the end and reverse engineer my way back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. But you start off by like, should I even be doing this? Yeah. We had a meeting this morning, and it was an owner principals meeting, and we were talking about insurance and mm. <laughs> medical insurance and yeah. liability insurance, like we're you know, like real running a firm stuff. Fun. Yeah, it was great. And so at the very end, since we're all in the room the office manager kind of w- walks in and says, hey, just want to get get approval on this real quick. And it was cleaning an ice machine. <laughs> and it was really expensive. Like You're like-
1: Oh, to clean one?
0: Yeah, like profoundly expensive. And then the whole table's like, well, is that something we can do ourselves? And you know, like we're getting on to this. And after like five minutes, I went, you know what? For the amount of money we pay for everyone in this room, we could have already paid to have that cleaned.
1: While we've had this conversation-
0: Yes. Yeah. Just we don't need to talk about it. If it needs to be done, do it. Like, come on. It's not. And they looked at me. And one of the principals, he's pretty funny. He goes, "I think we need to spend a little bit more time talking about it to get to that point." (laughs) But you know, obviously the point was made. Yeah. And everyone's kind of looking at. All right, let's get it done. Yeah. Next topic. (laughs) So that's a different version of smart goals. Probably wasn't smart for me to be so glib, as (laughs) the you know in that room, but. You know, hey, I got to be me. Then under goal setting, I have breakdown goals. This is like helping take a big idea and breaking down into smaller, more manageable tasks and Mm milestones. And that's something that I do because, one, because it just makes sense to me, but it also allows you to evaluate and course correct along the way. You know, because I don't know, this might be too much of an abstract thought without spending a lot of time, but since architects generally are radial thinkers, and management is kind of a linear path. There's like, how do you merge these two kind of ways of thinking and problem solving together? And the way I deal with that is I take a big task and make it into smaller tasks with milestones so that I can reevaluate. Am I doing what it needs to be done? Am I going in the right direction? Am I considering all the factors? Because I don't want to put myself in a corner at the end and go, well, I to start over. This didn't get me the solution I'm looking for. I don't want to throw all the effort out. So break it down, smaller tasks check-in.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that's very architectural in an essence of always trying to turn everything into a process. Yes, (laughs) for sure. Not that it's a bad thing, but that's just how we work.
0: Well, yeah. Well, it also, it kind of builds on to the last point. I was like, all right, well, what about regular progress tracking? Like really drill in or really own the idea that regular check-in, regular tracking of progress towards goals is important. And allows you to make adjustments as necessary. I don't think that architects are generally good at that sort of thinking and execution. But as you move into a management role, that sort of thinking applies to almost every single thing that I do from a management standpoint at a firm level. I mean it works on a project level as well, but on a firm level, a hundred percent about that.
2: Yeah, I think I would agree.
0: I have two more. Or we're getting up on an hour here. So this one I thought I'd throw in there because some people might make a comment about it. And normally I would leave this off because it's not something I ever really think about. But I have to acknowledge that it exists and it's a consideration for most. So let's put it out there for consideration. It's the idea of stress management. The idea how stress can negatively impact time management. And there probably should be some strategies that you can help people with to help manage stress more effectively. So it's like, and I don't do any of this, by the way. I'm terrible at this. So it's part of the reason why I put it on the list. Like, this is the growth opportunity for me. Yeah. So, work life balance, which we've talked about a lot, it's the idea of stressing the importance between maintaining a healthy work life balance to prevent burnout. Well, we've talked about this a lot on the show. Burn- we have a whole show based on burnout.
1: Burnout, yeah.
0: But I still fall in the camp that work life balance doesn't mean 50 50, it just means. Like you choose something that is the priority at that time in your life and you make sure you make time for that priority. Yeah. Because your goal at one point might be, I want to get a raise. I want to get promoted. I want to elevate my station within the firm. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to do things that expedite that process. And so that is the balance for you. Like you say, well, based on my goals, this is where my effort needs to be. And the balance is the remainder of the other things that you are obligated to do. that is not a popular opinion
1: well i mean i don't I don't disagree with you exactly. I understand why it's not a popular opinion in today's environment, but I would say that it in reality to me work life balance that's not a daily thing or even maybe a weekly thing, but it's an overall conceptual idea that it may be. This year, I end up with a work-life balance, but it may mean that sometimes I'm doing more work and less life, and other times I'm doing more life and less work, but that that's how you measure it, and you can't try to make it, measure it on a daily basis is, I think, the fallacy of that whole, well, I'm only working this many hours today, and then I'm doing whatever I want to do, and that's it. I don't care. To me, that's not work-life balance either. It's a more broad, overarching concept and not something that gets down to that kind of minutiae.
0: Man, I, you know, I I don't disagree with you, but most of the people that I have challenges with that wield the work-life balance as a a weapon. As a weapon, yeah. It's every, this is it. I do this every day and this is what I need. And you know what? The truth is, is I am more than happy if that's what you want to do. But when you come at me saying, why aren't these other amazing things happening to me? And I go, well, because you traded your balance of, Getting to work at nine o'clock in the morning because you're going to go work out and then you're leaving at 530 in the afternoon. There's trade-offs in all things and you just have to be able to Mm -hmm. accept the consequences based on the values you assign to achieve the work-life balance that you're striving to achieve. Yeah, That's the only time I get crossways on this is people not understanding the ramifications of the values that they put in place.
1: Yeah. Well, because there are some people in the world that work-life balance is a 50-50, it's 20 work 80 life where are they and i'm not trying to sound crass about either but i also think it's a personal thing so for me work life is never going to be 50 50 probably because i'd be bored out of my mind if it was 50 50 even to me balance might be 60 40 65 35 or something like that just because of how i am as a person to me that's still balanced unbalanced is 90 10 or something right that becomes unbalanced but you setting your own balance point, I think, is what it is. But setting that balance point has consequences.
0: Either way, of course, right? Either way, of course. Asterisk to all of this is you and I are recording a podcast on Management One on One on a Friday night, <laughs> so yeah. I so know. maybe, maybe we should temper the extreme position sometimes. That which does not seem extreme to us, but maybe that's because doing this on a Friday night is it's when we had to do it. This is because of the other life stuff that happened.
1: This is not when we wanted to do yes. it though, but it's just the way that it happened. Yes. The time that we had to make it happen was now. Yes. Yeah. So, and
0: to meet the schedule and the deadlines that we set in place for ourselves.
2: Set. Yeah.
0: This is what had to happen. So, the last one I put on here, <laughs> I'm almost waiting to get it cuz they're like, yeah, that's fake news. <laughs> But it's time for Mm self-care, allocating time for personal well-being, exercise, and relaxation to recharge whatever it is they need to recharge. I put that in there because I recognize that this is important. I work with people. This is really important to them. And these people work hard. I mean, they put in a lot of hours. So it's not necessarily the same consideration that we were throwing back over the fence in our work-life balance chat. But I've lost 25 pounds this year because I started saying, you know what? I sit in a chair too long. I work too many hours. I'm so tired when I get home. I lay on the couch and I watch TV and eat chips. That's not good for me. So I had to change things and say, I need to not do some things because I need to take care of other things. This doesn't sound like a management thing, like the execution of it. The recognizing that others need it is a management consideration mm, yeah, yeah yeah that's why i included it sure and i wanted to put in the fact that i lost 25 pounds this year. <laughs> exactly
1: yeah I, kn- <laughs> I know that was coming and see to me this is one of the things that i actually have the hardest time for me to prioritize is that the self-care stuff i don't know why because to me it feels like it's in a way it's wasteful and i a hundred percent no it's not right and I actually 100% know my life would be better if I didn't because, yeah, I've started trying to do a little bit more, like walking a couple miles or something every day or in the evening or whatever. But now, since things have started back up in August and the fall, that's fallen to the wayside because it, I can't prioritize it correctly to make it happen. Yeah. But.
0: Well, you know, for me, I try to at least four times a week go out and do three to four miles some road work. Most days when I do that, if, if I don't get out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning, it's not going to happen. It never happens, yeah. Because it gets, one, it, it's like a 1,000 degrees outside. <laughs>
1: yeah, It's only 500 degrees at 5 in the morning.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's 98 degrees. Cool front came through. Yeah. But I also know that if I wait until I do it when I get home at 6.30 at night, I'm tired. Like, I'm mentally tired. Mm-hmm. And honestly, exercise does not reinvigorate me. To be honest with you, it contributes to my exhaustion. (laughs) So I'm like, get it done. Get a little juice flowing in the morning. And then when I'm done, it's like out of mind. And I can come home at the end of the day and be tired. Like I'm no more tired than I normally am, but I can check the box that All right. I did something good for my body. I got it done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The last one I'm going to put on here, and I'm going to be super fast about this. It's decision-making and problem-solving. And this by itself could be like a big episode and maybe it will, which is why I'm going to go fast, but it just real quick, it's data analysis, it's critical thinking, it's risk assessment. And then there's the idea of feedback loop. And this is something I put on there because some happened the other night that drove me crazy. And so I added this today because <laughs> that moment drove me crazy. Yeah. Somebody made a comment like, oh, this happened, blah, 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 blah. And it was just shooting from the hip. And the reality is, is they didn't know what they were talking about. They didn't have all the information. Mm-hmm. And they said something that was just like, the people that did know the circumstances would look at that person and go, dismissed. Yeah. Because you're just talking now. Yeah. So the idea that it's, it's really important to tap the brakes, get the information, and lay it all out so that you can make informed decisions. And so, that you don't do something that you shouldn't do if you've just taken a beat to gather everything you need to do your job. What's that, uh, Navy SEAL? Slow is smooth and smooth is fast.
1: There it is. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yes. That's the phrase. So, that's the Navy SEAL motto slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Yeah. So, that's the data analysis. Critical thinking is just the idea of, Basically, can you weigh the pros and cons mentally before reaching conclusions? You've got the data now. That was step one. Get all the information so you can make an informed decision. Then actually think critically about the ramification of all the data you got in front of you. Can you puzzle through what would happen if this, that, or the other go through Mm -hmm. so you can kind of prepare yourself and then act accordingly to leverage the things you don't want and guide it towards the thing you do want? risk assessments on there for highlighting the importance of assessing risks associated with the decisions. That's part of the one I just mentioned. It's kind of the idea that when somebody asks a question, you can give them the answer. Great. Box checked. Most of the time, if you're in a, like I know more or I have more information than you do, Sometimes answering the question is step one, and there's another question that you're going to end up wanting to ask me as soon as you get the answer to that one. So why don't I just tell you the answer to the second one at the same time? Yeah, yeah. I know where this is going. Let me get out in front of it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the idea of a feedback loop, which is emphasizing the need to evaluate the outcomes of decisions and adapt. And this has to do, and this is a really big one for me, and there's no way I can get into it because it's like 20 minutes. It'd be a 20-minute soapbox rant, part of which we got into in the last episode. And it has to do with decision-making by committee.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. When 15 people get to have a voice, you're left with the lowest common denominator. So the idea of a feedback loop has to do with make a decision, be smart, but do it, but then be ready to pivot and change it if it didn't do what you needed it to do. Rather than taking six months to make a decision, do one, two, three, get there, Effectively act upon it, reevaluate it. Did it do what you wanted? If not, make a change.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's fine. You can do all of that in a shorter time period than this meeting decision making by committee yeah. most of the time.
1: Action is better than inaction at times.
0: Yes. So, one of the things I put on here, and I'm going to scratch it because the show's long, but it had to do with where can you learn this stuff? How do you continually try to improve yourself? And most of the time it's not just through life lessons. I mean, that's a part of it for sure, but I will tell you starting about four years ago, when I came to Boca for the first time ever, I started reading books on management,
1: (laughs) business books. Yes. Which I
0: never had done before. Yeah. So if we're going to say the topic is kind of a management one-on-one, I have three books that are literally, they're sitting on my bookshelf right now. Mm-hmm. And it's recommended reading. So I'm going to tell you what they are and tell you why you should read them. First one was The First Time Manager. Jim McCormick wrote this. It came out in 2021. This was during COVID. And I'm two years into my stint at Book Pal, And it's recommended because, I mean, it's generally considered a classic for new managers. Uh, it provides practical advice. And it kind of addresses fundamental skills needed to excel in a management role. Now, none of these are specific to architecture or design community or that kind of stuff. It's just kind of oversight. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But it covers all the basics like communication, delegation, motivation, and team building. It's an easy read. It's really straightforward. There's not a lot of jargon, so you don't have to come out of a, with a business degree to be able to understand the concept. So this is really it really is a 101 book. So it's a good one. Mm-hmm. So another one is Leaders Eat Last Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. And I work with a woman who recommended this book, which is why I went and got it. I have not read it, but she's talked about it a number of times. There's actually three books in this series, but this is the one she said this is the one to go with. It's by Simon Sinek.
1: Sinek, yes. Yeah. I love that guy, actually. Yeah.
0: And this one version of the three came out in two thousand and seventeen, and it kind of jumps into the importance of leadership in creating positive and productive work environments. And Cynic argues that great leaders prioritize the well-being of their teams and create a sense of trust and belonging. And it explores the ideas that leaders who put their people first tend to achieve greater success, which is really what we've been talking about this entire episode. Yeah, which. Leaders Eat Last is a great name for the book for that reason.
2: Yeah. I've
1: shown a lot of his YouTube videos in my professional practice class of him talking about leadership yeah. and different aspects. He's, it's really good stuff.
0: Yeah. The last one on my list is called Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. And it's recommended because, I mean, let's be honest, understanding motivation is a key aspect of effective management. And this book explores the science behind motivation and how to apply it in a managerial context. It's an interesting read. Honestly, the book helps not only managers motivate their teams, but it provides insights into human behavior, which honestly, that's something that we would get in into the management versus leadership conversation because. Mm-hmm that kind of idea of the insight into human behavior, like why people do what they do and what motivates people to do what they do. That's essential for a leadership position. Leadership. Yeah. 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 So that's a lot of stuff. And so I, to sum it up before we get into the last little quick fun part of our show, I'll just say that any transitions, any transitions can be challenging, but they're also full of potential and promise. And I believe that most people will do well to embrace this role with enthusiasm and confidence. It's kind of the idea of dress for the job you want, plan for success, act as if you've achieved your goal. And quite honestly, the unique skills and experiences that have brought people to that position where they're moving into a management role, you've been preparing for this your entire career. And as you enter the management position, you're probably going to be successful because if you're going into it, you probably want to be successful. You're going to do the things it takes to learn how to be a successful manager. And you're going to try to put those tools in place. If you just kind of go about your business, like whatever, chances are you're going to be a whatever manager. It's pretty straightforward. I don't think so. So stay open to learning, seek guidance when needed, and always lead by example, hopefully with some integrity. That's the takeaway. You got any closing comments?
1: No, I think that's good because we're knee deep in it now. So, but I think that all makes sense. Yeah.
0: Okay. So to wrap the show up, we're going to do a would you rather today. And I think that there's consideration for the two options that we have, but I think most people would probably, at least most architects I know would settle in on one of these. Yeah. So the question is, would you rather have an additional day off? every week of the year or have one month off a year all taken on consecutive days so pretty straightforward basically you're working 4 days on 3 days off for the entire year that's mm-hmm. it that's what you get or just like all right august i don't work august sort of thing
1: okay so but my question to that with clarification that i am requesting is in the 4 day work week do i still get vacation Nope. So I don't get any vacation. Like, well, I don't your get
0: vacation is one day a week.
1: One extra day.
0: Yeah, you get one day okay. of vacation every week. Uh,
1: I think I'm going to pick the, the one month consecutive. Mainly because I think that's going to be better for me getting to do something <laughs> worthwhile. I honestly think that the four-day work week would allow me to be more productive in those three days. I think I would probably get more done like of things I needed to do like around the house or the this or the that, but I'm not going to have a vacation. The one month off would allow me that time to vacation. I'm probably not going to use that whole one month to do all the stuff around the house I need to do because nobody wants to do that for a month. Yeah. Because
0: like doing that in small, small increments well, works. Hold on, but, hold on. You still get weekends. Yeah,
1: but still. But you can get a lot more done in a three-day weekend than you can in a two-day
0: I'm assuming you could get 50% more. That would be me I don't know.
1: I don't think that's quite true for me. It doesn't quite work that way, but I think I would end up taking the full month just because in the long run, it would feel better. I don't know how else to explain it,
0: yeah, no, I get it. I actually think I'd take the month too, even though I have lots of reservations with that. Mhm, so one is, I haven't had more than ten or twelve days off since I was in school and I got summer breaks, yeah. It just doesn't happen. I think I get like five weeks off now. Never even come close to taking that much time off.
1: Or consecutively either. You might, but it's yeah, a week here, a week there, a week here, a week there. Yes. Yeah. That's the one thing that gives me a little bit of trepidation about it because now that I'm teaching, I, I end up with like five or six weeks off in the summer if I only teach part of summer school. And dude, I'm bored out of my gourd in about three weeks. Yeah. There's no more TV. There's no more it's like it's all gone. I've I've done everything I can do. Now what am I gonna do? Yeah.
2: I don't know.
0: Well, for me, what ends up happening is I don't think that despite the fact that I don't take a lot of vacation time. And you know what? I feel pretty good on three day weekends. Like they're kinda awesome. I love them. There's no doubt. If I I go, I get a three day weekend every weekend. That's amazing. The problem with that for me is I don't really unplug on a three-day weekend, I still do a little bit of work, you know, because mm-hmm. I go, I have one less day to do my job, but maybe that would be different if that's just what it is every single week. All the time. Yeah. Because I would probably go about my business differently if I'm like, hey, I want to be out of the office for this entire month. I'm probably going to have some ramp up and delegating stuff and making sure what needs to get done is covered so that I can literally not be there because I'm not going to be there. There is no, I'm gone. It's like, I don't exist. The big part about this that I struggle with is most of the vacations I've been fortunate enough to take are pretty exotic,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: like China and Finland. and Yeah. And I can't do that if I only get three days off.
2: No.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: I can't go anywhere. And, you know, there's lots of things that are in within three days. There's a lot of cool stuff in the United States to go do and look at. But if I want to go to Italy, if I want to go to France, if I want to go to, Germany I've been to all these places and they're all awesome and all of them are off the book I can't do any of those things anymore so for me that's why I go "Eh." as much as I don't I don't relish the idea of taking a month off to be honest with you Mm -hmm. but I even more don't like the idea that I can't go anywhere honestly
1: it's funny when I think about it though I don't mind the idea of taking a month off per se but the thought of going back
0: after that month off
1: oh my god (laughs) (laughs) because you've done nothing Essentially, you've been off for a month. Like how rusty are you? Yeah, but that's long enough time for you to be accustomed to like not doing it. That's why I think a week or two weeks or something, it's okay because you get out of the groove, but you're not out out of the groove. But for a month, man, you are, you can't even see the groove okay. <laughs> you're near the and to have to come back. Well,
0: what about you going 11 months without having that break? Yeah. Right. I mean, like just having two days off, but you working five days, two days off, five. days. Yeah. There's no break. That's also pretty rough. I don't know. So.
1: To me, the idea would be like, okay, like I might be on that process it was, if the option was four day work weeks and there's one week you get somewhere. I could probably vibe with that and make that work. Yeah. But
0: that makes it, that's, that's an obvious solution then. So out, you don't get that choice.
1: I don't know. I think people would still, pro- I think there still would be some consideration because some people probably want that month off. Again, if
0: italians
1: well yeah but i mean if this is the grand scenario and like if it was one month off and i was still you know had enough money to go stay in italy for a month sure but again in my current lifestyle i don't make the kind of coin to even go say i'm gonna <laughs> stay somewhere for a month so it's a month even if it's a one-week vacation then it's three weeks at home of nothing yeah. and so that's yeah. that's the problem with it to me but if it's the choice of that much time off or just three days all the time, uh, I still think I have to take the month.
0: You know, if the option was six months of four-day weeks and then six months and you only get two weeks off all day, that's oh, like yeah. a course. Perfect, Duh. yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but then it doesn't make an inch. That's not an interesting It's not
1: question. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, all right. I still don't know. It's it's tough. I'm like 49, 51 here on like what it is because I think if I had all three-day weekends, I would be super productive if the work part and I would also be actually super productive in my off time. Yeah. But
0: I mean, I could get there and go, yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I just know that I'm giving up the idea that, well, you're not going to Finland. You're not going to Russia.
1: I'm never going to get a chance to go anywhere.
0: You're not going to China. You're not going to Israel. You're done. Yeah. So that's the only consideration for me.
1: Yeah. It limits.
0: If I could just snap my fingers and be in those places and have three days in that place and then snap my fingers and I'm back. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I would do, If we throw
1: teleportation into this, sure. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. So,
1: (laughs) wait, how do we get back to superpowers (laughs)
2: again?
0: I know (laughs) know, we got there quick. All right. I think we've reached a point where I'm going to call today's show a wrap. Thank you for being with us for episode 134 Management 101. Special thanks to our sponsor, Construction Specialties, maker of architectural building products designed to master the movement of buildings, people, and natural elements. Construction specialties has been creating inspired solutions for a more intelligently built environment since 1948. Visit masteringmovement.net to learn more. We'd also like to thank our media partners, Building, Design, and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast.
1: Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? We're available on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button and you'll get notified every two weeks when we publish an intriguing new episode.
0: While you're there, please take a few moments to leave us a five-star lead-by-example rating.
1: To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this empowering episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your own voice and join the conversation.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in.
1: Take it easy, everybody.
0: Cheers.